0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast and we are doing a special episode where, we've as got, part of Shares Month, as part of Shares Month, where we've got guests in with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Catherine Go. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. It is indeed, uh, and we're, we're going to be joined by Raymond Jang remotely, who is another RASC analyst. He'll be bringing us three of his uh, company ideas as part of Shares Month, and we're all going to contribute some ideas uh, to this podcast. We're going to bring three to the table each. I think, Kate, it's important to know that these ideas are just kind of ideas. Maybe put them on your watch list. And go about um, all of the, I guess, research in your own time, using the skills that you've learned throughout Shares Month.
1: Yeah. So we're bringing you a lot of different um, experts and suggestions during the Mm -hmm. month on how to research companies. And as well, on the Investors Podcast recently, you've been running for a 12-part analyst bootcamp, which really covers the foundations. And these are, um, essentially, today we're bringing you 12 different ideas that you can actually put your skills to use on yep. um, and actually to have a go um, analysing different companies, researching them, getting a bit of our background information. Maybe you've just taken the Get Started Investing course, uh, maybe you're enrolled in Owen's Value Investor Program, but just 12 different ideas. Uh, they're not necessarily companies we own or that we've put a recommendation on, just different ideas for you to have on your watch list and start researching.
0: Yeah, so we did this last year and Kate, you hit the nail on the head there. These are ideas that we're hopefully going to give you so you can put them on your watch list in your brokerage account or wherever you track um, your investment ideas. And then from there, what you can do is you can go ahead, listen to the rest of Shares Month or jump across to the Australian Investors Podcast where we've got a free download as part of our Investor Bootcamp series. It's a gigantic Google Doc that includes a whole heap of resources. And you can run through that series as well if you really want to go deeper into the companies. The companies that we named today, we're going to have ticker codes. We're going to tell you the name of them. You can head to their Investor Relations uh, Department on their website, access their annual reports, and start reading about the companies too.
1: Yeah. And they're all companies that we've found interesting in one manner or another, whether we own them or not. So, they're worth um, having a bit more of an explore and using the Checklist as well, which yep. will be in the show notes that we ran through in the first part of Shares Month.
0: Yep. So, this is a really good interactive session because you'll be able to take the, the companies and then go ahead and use all those resources um, in your investing. So yep. maybe- and we'll
1: also include in the show notes if we own any of these yes, companies as a well. Full
0: disclosure. So, maybe what we'll do is we'll start off with um, just a quick question to the two of you is um, like, how long have you been investing? And I guess, for you, Catherine, I'll get you to explain your role. So maybe we'll start with you. How long have you been investing and what do you do at Rask?
2: I've been investing for around five years now and my role at Rask is primarily to focus on smaller companies, so say below a billion dollars in value.
0: Yep. So these would be companies primarily on the ASX? On the ASX, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nice. And Kate, how long have you been investing?
1: Well, I've never been an analyst, so I'm coming at this from a different angle, but I've invest- been investing in some way for about seven years, investing properly, um, maybe for five <laughs> years. Uh, the first couple of years were just uh, pure experimentation. Um, most of the things I do not own today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to go through a bit of that in your journey. For
0: sure you do. We yeah. all do. And I'd say I've been investing for more than 10 years now. Um, obviously, showing my age here a bit. Um, and so you've seen some things. I've seen some things. I've been <laughs> places, Kate. And so basically, you know, I've evolved my investing over time, too. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, but first before we get into our three ideas that the three of us are bringing to the table we're going to cross to raymond jang uh, raymond's in sydney he joins us he's an investment analyst for our rask invest service so welcome to the show raymond
3: yeah sure thanks for having me on guys I'm glad to be here Um so my first company off the block is alphabet um so alphabet's the name of the holding company that represents a collection of companies um i think all of you know, and everyone knows, that Google is one of the biggest companies as part of Alphabet. And I think everyone's quite familiar with the Alphabet. I mean, it's a collection of letters, and that was the main main reason why founders um, were quite um, passionate about. They thought it was one of the most important um, innovations in humanity. So, and it also forms a core of the index of how we search on Google. So, that's one of the main reasons why it's called huh. Google. Yeah, Because yeah, so
0: there's, there's another thing to that, right? Like, the, they, they had one company that they owned for every letter of the alphabet too, right? Like, they had so many companies under the, the master company.
1: Yeah,
3: that's right. I think another, well, not reason, but another fun fact is that, you know, alphabet, the first half the word means um, outperformance of the benchmark. And then the second half of that word is bet. So,
0: it's quite an appropriate name for a company Mm. that's listed. Hmm. I didn't know that. No, I
3: never
1: thought about that one. Yeah.
0: So, so you you mentioned before that Google makes up the most of it. So, Google meaning like, you know, the internet search engine. When you type something in Google, they make money.
3: Yeah, yeah. Essentially, uh, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, So, when you talk about Google, I think it's great to... Um, see a very powerful and very simple mission um, when you read it it essentially says its mission is to organize the world's information and continuously make it more universally accessible and useful for people and <clears throat> when you think about that it's like very very easy to understand very simple but it's doing a very powerful thing right um when you Think about Google Search. You're trying to look for things. Um, you're looking for information, recommendations to find products. You've got YouTube. You're trying to look for funny videos to entertain yourself, uh, or you're trying to learn a recipe. You go on YouTube. You try and find places. Google Maps, and then you're storing, saving documents. Google Drive, Google Cloud. So it goes on and on. And those are putting a lot of money into um, to develop a self-driving taxi service. Um, to make us even more lazy. <laughs> 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 um, is that the thesis? Um, we're
1: just inherently lazy.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I think Google helps with that. It's becoming more ingrained in everyday's um, everyone's lives. Um, and that's pretty much the main reason why I think um, Alphabet is it's likely going to be a long-term compounder because it's so relevant to everyone's lives and um, we're so reliant on it, I mean... When was the last time your friends or your your parents um, asked you something and you had to Google for it?
0: Yeah. This morning? Yeah, this morning, yeah. Um, it's crazy, yeah. right, because it is so dominant as well. There are other search engines, but everyone just defaults to Google, right? You can use anything else, but it's just so cool. So, um, so that's a really like, what we would say, wide moat company, right? Like it has a really thick competitive advantage. Um, what would you say is the main risk to Alphabet?
3: When I think of key risks, um, with the upcoming um, rising inflation and high interest rates, um, I think it's going to have a massive dampener effect on um, advertising spend. And advertising spend is still um, still makes up a majority of Google's revenue. Um, but in saying that, Google's still on the top of the advertising. Uh, value chain in that they control the ecosystem. Um, so a lot of businesses, content creators, um, even our business is kind of reliant on Google. So that kind of showcases how powerful um, Alphabet is, or Google is. But yeah, the other key risk I'll mention is, um, as Google becomes more relevant to people's everyday lives and becomes more powerful and has that monopoly, Um, I think that attracts uh, more media scrutiny and it's already in the media a lot of the time Um, but it does, um, you know, there's a greater risk of more regulation.
0: Mm. Yeah, we see that in times gone by like Google has been fined all around the world basically for different things and we saw it, um, what, 12 to 24 months ago here in Australia Google and Facebook were the center of political debate around what is news and how is news going to be regulated. Um, so, that's one of the biggest companies in the world, Raymond. I feel like some of our listeners might be thinking, oh, I wish Raymond brought a, a company that they hadn't heard of or hadn't seen today. Um, so, what's the next company? You've got three for us. What's number two? Yeah, number two
3: is uh, definitely more obscure compared to Alphabet and Google. It's a company called um, – it's got Alphabet. It's got letters in it as well. So, um, R. Holdings. Um, So PWR, um, it develops cooling solutions and products for really high-end vehicles, and it provides this to uh, four key segments. Um, Its bread and butter is motorsports. So when you think of motorsports, you think of F1, the FE, which is the electric vehicle version of the Grand Prix, um, the World Car, uh, World Rally. Uh, championships, um, your V8 supercars, all those sports races. And all these vehicles, you know, they get really hot and um, you need to cool down sometimes. So it's like <laughs> when you go for a run, you sweat up and you cool down. Um, and that's what P2R provides. Um, in terms of the seg- second segment, uh, so sells sells similar products and solutions, but to everyday people. And I'd say, when I say everyday people, I'd say um, those people would probably take more care of their vehicles um, than, the, than the majority of the population and really value the quality of uh, PWR's products. I'm not sure if any of you are RevHeads, I don't think so.
0: Maybe Kate. Kate would probably be the closest <laughs> to a rev head in the room. Um, <laughs> actually, it's 0 it's, to 150. It's, it's funny because between the three of us here, there's only one car. Um, and we all share it. Yeah. <laughs> But you never know, like we could be in the market for a a new radiator for our car. Hmm.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because I actually um, asked one of my mates who is a bit of a rev head and he actually takes his car um, to the racetrack every now and then and he straight away knew who PWR was and he said, yeah, Um, he wasn't sure why I was asking so he was actually um, worried that I was spending too much money on some cooling solutions for my own car.
0: <laughs> so, um, what would you say then? Like we talked about the risks of Alphabet, what would you say are the risks to PWR?
3: Uh, in terms of risks, I'd say valuation at the moment is quite high. Um, price earnings is around 40, 42 times. Um, and to give some context, I think the average price earnings for the top or well, the biggest five hundred companies in the US is around fifteen times. So to to view it in that light, you'd say that, you know, PWR is quite um quite at a premium in terms of um the share price and also the multiple. And there's um I think there's high expectations built into current share price. And I think another key risk would be the rise in raw material costs. The biggest raw material cost is aluminium. So all these cooling products they're um they're like you know rectangular, they're like blocks. So, and they're all made of um, aluminium. Um, and at the moment, aluminium prices are at record highs. So, and it doesn't seem like it's going to abate any um, anytime soon. Um, and it's branching outside of motorsports. So, the key driver of growth for PWR is actually providing the same solutions and products to military defence and also aerospace, which is very interesting because... Um, company that we talked about before Alphabet and Google um, they're trying to build infrastructure in space to um, improve the efficiency or the speed of the um, transmission of data um, essentially um, to improve um, productivity and to get to space you need to build some more spacecraft and that's where PWR comes in and provides uh, cooling solutions because it kind of gets hot up there as they say
0: (laughs) Okay. So, as as everything gets hotter, PWR gets more interesting. Um, and it's also good that you brought up the the price-to-earnings ratio. It's what uh, we spoke about recently in a jargon buster um, because and, – and the way you talked about it too being having a high price-to-earnings ratio, PE ratio, um, and you can compare that to others like in the whole market to get a sense of what investors, like the value that investors place on the company's profits. Uh, So, that's really interesting, mate. So, PWR, um, we've gone from Alphabet to PWR, which is a much smaller company, but now I think we're going to go smaller again uh, with your last name, which is a technology company. So, tell us about this business. I doubt many of our listeners have heard of it.
3: Yeah, my last business, um, so I'd say it's my strikers, my wingers, my attackers in my soccer team, um, all these three-stock portfolio. Um, and I'd say Janison is a um, very small company and also very high risk, but there's um, a lot of growth going on at the moment. Um, so what does Janison do? It's, it's essentially trying to be the leader of digital and physical um, educational assessments provider for infants and secondary schools in Australia. So it charges schools as well as uh, corporate organisations um, to access its education platform um, to either complete assessments or upskill. Um, the interesting thing about Janison is that, um, compared to other assessment platforms, it actually holds a contract with um, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development um, to provide and roll out the program for international student assessments um, for secondary schools across a number of countries, not just Australia. Um, it's not, there's quite a few um, jargon in there. So I think OECD essentially is trying to lift the standards of education. Um, but it's not on, the only thing that they're trying to do. Um, they're trying to lift um, the quality of life and, and other aspects of um, that are important to
0: human beings. So it's more of a technology company And it provides, like it does like proctoring and exams, whether that's digital or physical. And uh, I think you told me once that one of the things that they're trying to do is like when you have an exam, like during COVID or even just a remotely assessed exam, they might be able to monitor like the eye movements of a student to see what they're looking at to make sure that they're looking at their screen and not looking at notes or other students work and things like that.
3: Yeah, that's right. When I was listening into the call, I uh, found this... Um, technology to be quite quite uh, unreal to be honest because um, I've been accustomed to sitting on my exams physically and um, haven't really done a test digitally and for a camera to be able to pick up your movements and um, what you're doing and also the, the movements within the room is, is quite amazing and I, I think I just wanted to expand on that, um, that international student assessment and um, that That assessment is not trying to uh, develop your standard scorecard and and benchmark or league tables within schools, but it's actually trying to um, help students build real life skills. So, to improve their critical thinking skills and also emotional intelligence
0: skills. So, how does it, so Raymond, that's an interesting thing. How does it do that? Like, how does it, like, so what is it, they're not setting the test necessarily or are they setting the test? Like, how does that work?
3: So in terms of the actual platform, um, they're trying to formulate questions where they're assessing um, a student's ability to um, deal with certain uh, situations and what they would do in um, certain case studies. You know, so assess their emotional states as well and trying to um, provide you know examples or tests that can really show then what's the right way um, to approach um, everyday tasks? So I think a lot of people can relate to first starting out as a graduate and then um, I think communication skills is very important and emotional relationship building skills is very important. So um, it provides guidance on that.
0: Right. So this is, um, as you mentioned, this is a company that trades on the ASX under the ticker symbol J-A-N. So it's a smaller company. So this is what we call small cap. Um, which sometimes comes with more volatility, the ups and downs, if they don't meet you know, certain performance metrics for profitability or whatever, they don't, um, I guess they get punished. Um, the share prices can be volatile. So Raymond, what would you say are the risks? Aside from just like that general up and down that share prices tend to exhibit, what else would you say is a key risk for Janison?
3: Um, Janison's scaling at the moment and they're rolling a lot of um, those assessments and programs across um, the globe. So, I think the key risk at the moment or over the next five years would be um, the ability to scale and to keep those employee costs down, because at the moment that's probably the biggest um, operational costs that we're seeing um, with the rollout of all these assessments and uh, especially the program for international student assessment. Um, yeah, yeah, and it makes in sense. terms of the other. Other key risks would be a shortage in skilled labor. I think that's been um, a key topic of discussion of late and it applies to Janison as well because they're trying to optimize and improve the platform um, and that requires uh, very technical software engineers to do that over a long period of time.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, Roman, those are three really interesting companies. So we've got Alphabet. Which we all know. We've got PWR Holdings, if I'm not mistaken. Which cools you down. Yeah, it cools you down, no matter where you are in space oh. or on the racetrack or even just driving to work. Uh, and that trades under the ticker ticker symbol PWH. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's right. an important thing because if you're listening to this and you go into your brokerage account and you type in PWR, that will come up with a different company. So what we're after is the company called Peter
3: Warren Automotives.
0: Yeah. So we're not saying we're not saying. Peter Warren Automotive. So they're both car companies. Yeah. They're both so car companies. So that could companies. be a bit confusing. Yeah. They're both car companies. So we're saying PWR Holdings, which trades under the ticker symbol PWH. That's the one you want. So add that one to your watch list. And then finally we had Janison Education, which is a software company that um, is also like is involved in um, like remote proctoring of exams and trying to lift educational standards across the globe. So, Raymond, you've come up with three really interesting companies, all with a kind of like tech and like, I guess, more modern approach on whatever industry they're in theme, uh, really interesting companies that people will be able to track. So, thanks for taking the time to join us from Sydney.
3: Thank you. And just for full disclosure, I own shares in Janison, but I don't own shares in the other two companies, uh, PWH, PWR Holdings <laughs>
0: Yeah, great. Thanks, mate, And good disclosure, that will be something that's included in all of our show notes, and we'll make note of that throughout. I do own shares in Alphabet. Does anyone else own shares of Alphabet? Probably. Probably, says Kate. We'll have to check (laughs) that in the show notes. notes. Once again, Raymond, thanks for joining us, mate. A pleasure. Thank you. So, now we're back in the studio, and um, thank you for joining us, Raymond. We're going to talk about our three ideas each. We're going to go through them um, each, you know, all three at once. So I'm going to start with my three. Then we might cross to you, Kate, for your three ideas. And finally to you, Catherine. So my three ideas are um, a little bit kind of different to last year. Last year, when we did this series, I talked a lot about um, Washington H. sol Pattinson, and some um, listeners wrote into me and said, oh, and you know that invest in coal? Um, and there's been a few things that have happened on that front. Um, and there were a few other companies in there. I think I did one ETF as well. This year, I'm going to mix it up a bit. And the first company that I'm going to name is um MFF Capital. And this trades under the ASX ticker symbol MFF. And this is what we call a listed investment company or LIC for short. And basically all it is is a company that invests in other companies. Now, what makes this one interesting is that this LIC is actually very low cost um, and it's run by one of the co-founders of Magellan Financial Group. So if you want to check out the MFF Capital website, where you go is you go to the Magellan website and then you click through to the to the website. It's kind of like hidden off to the side. And this is a bit different because when you invest in this company, what you're effectively getting is ownership of a company that then takes money that it's got inside of it and goes invest in other companies. And it invests in a minimum of 20 companies that are resilient, have competitive advantages. So these are the things that we've talked about and they trade at a good valuation. Now, what is really interesting about this is that the co-founder of the company, of Magellan, is the person that runs this. His name's Chris McKay. Now, he's a fantastic investor in his own right, and he's a huge investor in this MFF Capital company. Why that's interesting is because people sometimes say that this is basically just his personal investment company. It just happens to be on the stock exchange, and you can get access to it very cheap. One of the things that I like about this investment company is when you invest in it, Normally, when you invest in an overseas way, so let's say you go and invest in an ETF that invests in, say, the NASDAQ or the US share market or whatever. Normally, when you invest over there, you don't get franking credits. So you wouldn't get that tax benefit if you earn dividends. But because what you're actually investing in is an Australian company that then invests overseas, the Australian company pays tax. So it generates franking credits. So you get the the benefit of, one, having a great investor at the helm. Two, franking credits and regular dividends. They have like a commitment to paying regular dividends. And three, you get international exposure. So it's kind of the, I guess, just like a, a sweet spot for all of those. And so what's included in the, ETF, uh, in, in the listed investment company, I think is a good um, way to demonstrate what they do. So in the, inside the portfolio, as of April, 2022, it had Visa, MasterCard, and right down the bottom is a very small holding. It had L'Oreal Group. So, you get a flavor of the, the types of companies in there. Um, they're very well-known, very resilient, um, and long-term focused. Mm. So that's MFF Capital. And it's a little bit different. A lot of people probably didn't expect me to say something like that, but I think with a good management team, investing in competitively advantaged companies, diversification, it's a pretty good one. Does anyone own that? I own
2: that. You, you no. own it? No. I do own oh, Catherine. Yes.
0: Okay. How many stocks or ETFs are in your portfolio? Uh, I, I don't guess.
2: I guess, including US shares, probably around 50. (laughs)
0: Fifty, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, yeah. No shame, there. And Kate, how many <laughs> you have? No on that one? <laughs> Kate's
1: okay, got a bigger number than I do. Let's just say that.
0: Okay. I don't think that answer will help anyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's perfectly all right. That's fine. Um, and some investors choose to go about that way. We've talked about this on the show before. Some investors tend to build a, like a big portfolio. Others be very concentrated. Um, I'm definitely more concentrated than that, but that's okay. Um, my second company is a company that many people will know, particularly if they're fans of the tennis. The company is Salesforce. This trades on the New York Stock Exchange, so the NYSE, and it's under the ticker symbol CRM, which for most people, you would know that that stands for Customer Relationship Management. Um, And the company itself, Salesforce, is a software company for that. So it started as this core service that allowed you to manage your customers, whether they're coming to from a website, whether they come in from social media, whether they at uh, physical stores and the customers come in and they put their information into the system. It all integrates into this backbone called 360, and it gives you a 360 degree view of your customers and basically your entire business. Now, what has Salesforce has done over the years is it's really innovated within its business to bring more features and widgets to people. And it's sold on subscription and it's not cheap. So if you use Salesforce for your business, it might be like a minimum cost of like $200 US a month. But now what they've done is they've expanded well beyond just conventional you know, customer relationship. You can do full automation. So you could send text messages, emails, um, you can capture all signups and take payments and all this type of stuff. And they've also moved in a big way into analytics through um, one of their businesses is called Tableau. And another one, which they bought recently, the biggest acquisition that they've ever made is Slack. Now, Slack, you probably know if you work in a business, it's like Discord for businesses. And what was actually fascinating about this is the deal to buy this company, which off the top of my head was thirty-seven billion. I'm looking at Catherine; she doesn't know. I think it was about thirty-seven billion dollars. And what was fascinating about this is Slack was actually using one of their new features to do the negotiation with Salesforce, where you can add people from outside of your business into Slack, and you can do a negotiate And they were just doing a negotiation inside Slack. So it was basically. A big play, a big push by Salesforce to say we do customer relationships so well. How about like team stuff and management of teams and helping customers talk to employees? Um, and so that was Mark Benioff, the CEO's basically vision for for Slack. And um, what's what's what Salesforce has done is it's got these verticals across like the full stack of business automation, and it's effectively taken them and. Um, turned each of them into billion-dollar businesses by themselves, so billion dollars of revenue. And the business grows like clockwork at like 20 to 25% a year. It's got really good margins. It's not like super profitable right now, which is something that catches people off guard. And that's because it's continuously reinvesting into its business, but it's not the type of business where like it's never going to reach profitability. If it wanted to, it could. Mm. So that Salesforce trades under the um, ticker symbol Uh, CRM on the New York Stock Exchange. So if you have an international broker, you would be able to add this to your watch list. And does anyone own that? I own that, yes. You own. Okay. That's two for Catherine. I've used it as well as a customer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And And it's
1: very, um, like there's whole thousands of employees that are called Salesforce specialists that organizations Mm. employ because it can get so technical in the back end. And once you're integrated into it, it's very hard to, uh, detach it from the company.
0: Yeah, that's right. So it's got what we call switching costs. So it's once like a limpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, once it's stuck on the rock, you're not getting it off. <laughs> okay, it integrates. I get the um, so, uh, yeah, so there's actually one of those uh, Salesforce specialists in our shared office here. Mm. And they actually were so good at their job. It, when this company here outside our studio um, brought them into the office, they work from the office one or two days a week and then they employed them. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, well, we need you're so important to our business. We need you. Yeah. So uh, that was really fascinating. Uh, so that's my second company, which is Salesforce CRM, is the ticker symbol. The final company is perhaps the most boring, um, which is Wes Farmers. It trades under the ticker symbol WES on the Australian Stock Exchange, so ASX WES. Now, most people. Would have heard of the brands underneath underneath West Farmers, but if you're new to investing, you won't know the company itself. So West Farmers has been around for decades, and it owns Bunnings, Kmart, and a bunch of other little things like Office Works. Uh, in the past, it owned Coles for quite some time, and now Coles, now Coles is separately listed on the ASX. And it also owns some businesses that are involved in industrial uh, type things, so like fertilisers and manufacturing and that type of stuff. Um, And the whole idea of Wesfarmers is that, like the first company I mentioned, um, MFF Capital, it's kind of a company that holds other companies. But the difference with Wesfarmers is Wesfarmers buys them outright, typically. And it buys them outright like it did with Bunnings or Coles for a period of time, improves them, and then kind of recycles them back into the stock market. They might sell them to another investor. So in the case of Coles, they bought it when it was really struggling. Its profit margins were like below 2% then they brought it back to 4% or 5% profit margins and then put it back on the stock exchange and sold it for a higher price than they paid for it while also taking dividends along the way. So that's kind of their MO. And why would you buy West Farmers or why would you have it on your watch list? I guess the, the simple things are over time, even though it's like the Titanic, how big it is, and it seems to be slow moving, it does every year grow a little bit. Like Even though you think came Kmart, you think, oh, you know, this things like it's been around for Decades, it does grow a little bit every year. Uh, Same with Bunnings; like every year, Bunnings rolls out another one or two stores or whatever, and every year those stores add to the revenue, and it just gets more and more scale and gets more and more important. Um, Might not be every year, but that's basically how you can think about it. And so you get that slow, long-term compounding, but you also get dividends and franking credits along the way, and that shouldn't be overstated because, um, or sorry, understated because. The benefit of that is it does pay like a, a really impressive yield, a dividend yield. Uh, you'll get that half yearly and you'll get the franking credits when tax time rolls around. So combined, those two things, if you can buy Farmer shares at a reasonable price, they're probably like fully priced at the moment is what I'd say. So it's more one for the watch list. But um, if you can buy them for the right price, it's a pretty good business. So any questions on my three companies?
1: Sound all interesting ones to have a bit of a research
0: of. Yeah. I wanted to be quicker than Raymond um, in my... Three companies. Now, I, I trust you guys would be a bit quicker, but um yeah, those are three companies that, uh like, they, they might sound a bit like, oh, we know this name. It's been around forever. I was hoping you'd come up with something that I'd never heard of. But these are companies that in a market where inflation, as Raymond said, might be a little bit higher. I think these three companies um, have the ability to slowly but surely add value to shareholders.
1: Mm. Mm. And all those bunning sausage sizzles.
0: Well, the bunning sausage sizzles, yes. That's the only reason you should buy West Farmer's shares. (laughs) For every dollar that you buy, two dollars that you spend on a bunning sausage sizzle, you could put that two dollars into West Farmer's shares. You'd probably be wealthy. Yeah. Okay. So just don't slip on the onions. Um, Kate, now we're going to switch to you. We've got you giving us three ideas, Mm. three of your biggest and boldest (laughs) ideas you've ever come up with as a fully fledged senior chief economist analyst. Um, co-host of one of Australia's biggest podcasts. God, you must be good at this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So Well,
1: yeah. Well, I've got three (laughs) ideas for you. Whether they're fantastic is debatable and I have not looked at the financials, so I'll be very clear about that.
0: So, Kate's are more like these are ideas, go away and research them. Um, Yeah. We're we're introducing an interesting business in each case. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, the general premise of each of the companies intrigues me. Okay. So... Did you know that 40% of all relationships (laughs) in the U.S. begin online now?
0: 40% (laughs) of all relationships.
1: In the U.S. begin online.
0: Right. Because I I remember seeing a statistic not too long ago of one in three uh, millennials met online when they got, if they were married and they did a survey, one in three. So now it's Mm. one in, now it's more than that. Yeah, it's pretty high. Um,
1: And a lot of people have met using apps like Hinge, Tinder. Cupid. plenty of fish in Uh, the US. There's a lot of these companies. And if you've heard of any of these names or used them, they're all owned by the Match Group. Match Group, Which is a US company listed on the NASDAQ, and the code is MTCH.
0: MTCH, okay.
1: And they are an owner of all sorts of dating companies, of all types of dating companies. I just listed a couple there, but there's at least 20 different ones. Um, They often buy them or they create them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been around for a long time, since 1980s. Uh, there's over 2,000 employees at this company, over 20 offices. The CEO has been running the show for a long time. And there's over 100 million active users at the start of this year.
0: Imagine if you could say, one in four of my customers you know, met each other through my business. That's pretty yeah. cool.
1: They're in the business of love.
0: They're in the business of love. I mean what other
1: investment case do you
0: need, <laughs> Owen? <laughs> and we are now in the investments of love.
1: Yeah. And the the company <laughs> is starting to launch in non English speaking countries. Um There's a few interesting- That would be important.
0: I imagine there are a few people that don't speak English that (laughs) would like to meet.
1: The way that the company makes money is through people often paying in-app purchases or subscriptions. So, they usually work on a freemium model. So, you can use the app for free or the dating site for free, but you can also pay extra for different perks To message people or extra special profile features or
0: to match with more people. So you said match there, pun not intended. So (laughs) basically um, what might happen is if you go into Tinder for those people that don't use it, you might get some like ability to to find someone, but you might only get like five opportunities before you then have to pay for the next package, which then Mm. gives you more access basically. Yeah. So
1: there's lots of different types of in-app purchases, which is Another, something on the risk side of things because they are dependent on things like the App store on Apple and Google and they've been having a battle with that recently um, because that takes quite a bit of a cut out of their revenue yeah because right. people don't older customers still go to websites yep. to do online dating but young people just want to use the app and they only want to use in-app purchases so um, that's a bit of a risk there about that and I know I think there's some big court cases in the. US at the moment about Apple um, having the monopoly over the app store and in-app purchases.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Catherine's nodding her head for those of you that, uh, <laughs> those of you that aren't watching on YouTube. Um, so, basically, so Match Group owns this collection of companies that then provide dating solutions, basically, yeah. whether you're on the phone. Um, I think Tinder's the number one lifestyle app globally for revenue, I believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was the number one downloaded dating app worldwide, according to their data. Um, And it was also the highest grossing uh, lifestyle app because dating is part of your lifestyle now.
0: It is part of your life, I guess.
1: Um, And it was interesting. They, according to their internal surveys, so always with a grain of salt, but they say that 60% of all relationships that started on an app in the US started on one of theirs.
0: Because hmm. there are other apps, like, um, is it… Bumble? Bumble. Yeah. That's because I remember when I looked at… So There's a bit inter- of backstory
1: there with the founder of Bumble and yeah, Tinder. Yeah.
0: And this is the, one of the things that I looked at. I looked at this company quite a few years ago. Wish I bought shares, by the way, but I didn't. <laughs> um, they were owned by a company called IAC, and that company IAC spun them out, meaning that they sold them separately to the stock exchange. Um, And at the time I was like, oh, this is like a bit weird. I don't want to have share in Tinder or Match Group when most of it's owned by some other company I don't want to have exposure to. But um, yeah, at the time, this is when like Tinder was really hitting its stride, but Bumble had just started. So I was like really worried. I was like, is everyone going to switch? But it seems like people still use those core dating apps. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, they're still growing. And even some interesting stats. They did a Singles in America study with 5,000 <laughs> participants last year. Um, and they were saying that one in four singles had a video date before meeting in real life. So, people are actually using these apps and then actually dating, having video dates and chats online before they actually take it. In real life, which is quite interesting, and Gen Z, fifty-one percent were having video dates before meeting in real life. So they're really trying to, and they're even apps like Hinge. They're adding audio prompts. They're adding like in-app video features. So they're really using technology to their best, to the best of their ability, to enhance dating online.
0: Because one of the things that um, would no doubt concern people when you're going through an app is like you really only get profile pictures you know that whole catfish there's this entire you know yeah series about this on you know different streaming services the next favorite show the <laughs> next favorite show behind the camera Monique's, yes just like catfish yes please um, but people go to meet up with someone in a cafe or a restaurant or a bar or whatever and they think oh am I actually going to meet the person that I think I'm going to meet so the more steps involved yeah. before you meet them is probably a good thing, right?
1: Yeah, it stops you just filtering people based off like artificial measures like height and school and all those sort of things. Whereas this you can add- like we do that with stocks though. <laughs> <laughs> it adds a bit more depth because we're looking at people here, Owen.
0: Yes, yeah, that's true. Um,
1: but anyway, the better they make their apps and the more they add to them, um, the more people want to use them and are happy to pay yeah. for them because that's, I mean, they're investing in their future and hopefully meeting the right person. So. Um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. They've got a big court case um, that they've sort of settled on. There's a big financial settlement coming up, so that's nearly half a billion dollars they've got to pay out in uh, legal fees. Because there's a bit of a uh, bit of backstory to that, but um, yeah, that's I'd say another known risk as well. And there's also a risk if that if people have less money to spend and they've got to cut back um, on discretionary spending, they probably go back to the free version of the
0: yeah, the just apps try their luck and stop yeah.
1: paying for it. Yeah. But I don't know, everyone. Likes love, so people are probably happy to keep paying for things if they think it's going to work.
0: <laughs> Everyone does like love, Kate. That's a that's good. So this is we we we're joking a bit here, like we're having a bit of fun with this one. But the reality is that you know this is a for many people this is a hugely important spend in their life. Like they might not want to spend the money, but they see it as necessary because this they want to find someone, they want to connect with people. Um, this is a great way to do it. So. Um, you know that could be your investment case. Like your investment case could be, I think more people are going to meet online, and I think match groups brands are going to do more of that. Mm. And that could be the reason why you decide to research the company or whatever. I
1: mean, you can do a lot of research with this. You can download all the apps and uh, create accounts on all of You can, can write them. back to us
0: and let us know which which of the dating apps is your favorite and why. Um, yes. We would love to know. You can try a, all the features in investing. You know, we call that a, like we call that a scuttlebutt market research boot leather research or we call it like a channel check even a channel check is where you go and you check out what management say like you could even ask me we could ask me well, listening to this podcast do you use it out of 10 how would you rate tinder versus bumble and then you can do your own research and that's informing your investment yeah so, cool nice there you one. Go. business group. of love like it kate you're very I know, is that ethical <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it is <laughs>
1: Know making people happy You're making eventually people happy with your Too investment. Awesome. You're
0: supporting happiness
1: as long as they don't just stay on it forever and actually find someone. Then it's yeah.
0: doing its job. Yeah, it is. That's good. Like it. Good outcomes.
1: The next one is uh, a little bit different.
0: Okay, <laughs> of,
1: um, less yeah. love, more. Uh,
0: Please don't say funerals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully not. Exploration. Exploration.
0: Oh, okay. That's okay.
1: um, Future focused. Future focused uh, So, this is a company we have done a deep dive on before for the finance podcast. It's Fortescue Metals Group. The ticket code FMG on the Australian Stock Exchange. Fortescue. Fortescue. Swiggy Forest.
0: All. Yep. We've talked about this a lot. Digs things out of
1: the ground. Yep. Puts them on trains, moves them to ports, ships them overseas. And is doing lots of different things in the future of energy. Um, Twiggy's flying all over the world trying to um, make Fortescue future industries happen, and um, he's recently stepping back into the business. I saw an article the other day mm. um, because CEO's stepping down, but she's staying on the board, I believe.
0: Mm. Okay, so this is a business. If you haven't listened to it already, the Australian Finance Podcast, where we did a deep dive on Fortescue Metals Group. This is a business that is involved in iron ore, but it's got this other division which you just mentioned, which is all about. You know, re- renewable energy, or at least like low cost alternatives, like yeah, green hydrogen, for example.
1: Yeah, and they're putting a huge amount of focus on that. They're trying to make them almost equal divisions of the business. So mm. um, that's an interesting one to look at as well. And Dr. Twiggy Forrest, yep. uh, Andrew Forrest, PhD
0: of marine biology. Yeah. yeah,
1: he's just a fascinating man. Um, we we talked about one of his Boyer lectures. So that's really interesting to have a listen to. Um, and I just think. What they're doing is really interesting. Um, they're doing some good things for the future of energy. So I think it's an interesting look when you're looking through an environmental social governance lens, mm. um, what they're doing now versus what they're hoping to do in the future.
0: Yeah, cool. I like it. So we talked about it's got big dividends because Twiggy loves his dividends. There's a book about Twiggy, by the way, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, I actually found that to be one of the most, I would say, encouraging and inspirational um, biographies. In Australia um, for Australian entrepreneurs so if you haven't already read that book go ahead and, and look at it um, it pays dividends it is dependent on iron ore still because that's where almost all of its revenue comes from and within that it's dependent on China too yeah,
1: very concentrated revenue Yeah. so forces. that's the
0: that's the big key risk it's always been a risk mind you um, and with that comes a dependence on iron ore prices so how iron ore prices set basically supply and demand if there's too much iron ore, like from Brazil or from BHP or Rio, wherever, um, the price will go down, supply and demand. But at the moment, iron ore prices are pretty strong, and they're able to make huge profit margins because um, because of that, and then they can recycle that money on the other side of their business.
1: Yeah. yeah. I just found the, the whole business fascinating, and since we did that deep dive
0: hmm,
1: probably a year ago?
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe? Slightly maybe.
1: less? I've just been following the company. It's been fascinating.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, so that's Fortescue ASX FMG.
1: That's other interesting point. Like once you actually do a, a few hours of research into a company, you um, every time you see the name in the news or someone mention it, suddenly you have all this background knowledge mm. of the company, and you become a lot more interested in what's happening.
0: Yeah, because what it, a lot of people do, right, is they find out about a company, and they're really overwhelmed at first, like, oh, my, I'll never be able to understand this thing. But then they read like you know, the first twenty pages of an annual report, and they're like, okay, I got it. Like the CEO just explain what they're doing and the chairman just explain what they're doing. Um, and then the next time you pick up that and you report you'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember this. And then you see it in the news, you'll be like, Oh yeah, I know that I know how that relates to this business. And you see, you don't need to pick it up all at once, right? So that's a good good point. Yeah. Hmm. What about number three, Kate?
1: The final I'm one is a bit different again.
0: Okay, a bit different. So again.
1: it is a Australian investment bank called Macquarie Group. So most people have probably heard about Macquarie Group. It's uh, you've probably got your big four banks and then mm. Macquarie Group.
0: Yep. And what's the ticket symbol?
1: MQG. So that's I the code you need to put in by heart on your brokerage account if you're looking to add it to your watch list, It's on the Australian Stock Exchange as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd probably put it into that blue chip company basket that we mentioned in our jargon buster. Mm -hmm. It's a large company. Everyone knows about it. It's been around for quite a long time. Um, It has a pretty cool CEO, Shamara. Um, She's been running it for a few years now, Um, over 17,000 employees globally, and it actually Mm -hmm. earns most of its revenue outside of Australia.
0: Yeah. So it's different to all the other banks, right? Because the big four banks, ANZ, NAB, Westpac, and CBA. They're basically all about mortgages in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah,
1: and they've had some failed overseas experiments. Yeah, whereas Um,
0: Macquarie hasn't. They've succeeded overseas.
1: Yeah, um, huge employee base. Um, I've known a lot of people that have worked there and have, I mean, hard hours, hard work, but they've um, got a lot of experience and have enjoyed it. Um, And they do a lot of different things. So they'll do everything from... Home mortgages that you and I could go and get, mm. um, but they do a lot of infrastructure. They do manage funds, annuities. They do lots of deals yep. um, for big companies that are wanting to do mergers and acquisitions. Uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, so they do like what we would call traditional finance, like in, or traditional investments in the industry. So they would do things like, you know, consulting. They would help companies merge together or break apart and they would earn a fee for that Mm. uh, work they would do they also do something which is really interesting and raymond knows a lot about this is they actually also have a big presence in financial advice and wealth management and in particular in the technology side of things so they have analysts and advisors that are very sophisticated software engineers that um so they build the software that their advisors use and so that allows them to compete against other technology companies. Mm. So they're really innovative, even as a bank. Yeah. And that's what makes them so, I guess, successful.
1: Yeah, and they do a lot with high net worth clients in Australia and yeah. globally. Yeah,
0: if you bank with Macquarie, it's like the bank to bank with, right? That's yeah. kind of how it's known. Yeah, um, they have
1: some big offices in Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, they've well.
0: got this beautiful office right in the middle of Sydney. You can see it from Martin Place. So... um Okay, then you had this theory about the logo because Catherine and I have always known it as like the silver donut because it looks like the logo is just a donut.
1: Yeah, so I did not know the background of the logo until I was actually having a bit of a a research um, (laughs) on their website, but it's actually – um, the donut is modelled after Australia's first official currency, which was called the holy dollar. So in 1813, Australia actually faced a currency shortage. And so the governor at the time, Lachlan Macquarie, now I've only just learned about all of this stuff, so yeah. I'm just uh, regurgitating for you, but addressed this currency shortage by importing 40,000 Spanish silver dollars and punching a hole through the centre to create two unique coins. So you had the, the, big, the round one with the hole, yeah. and then you also had the small coin.
0: Okay, so two different. Okay, right. Yeah,
1: these two coins stimulated the economy and they addressed the shortage. And uh, it was a symbol of innovation and ingenuity at the time. And so Macquarie focused on being at the forefront and being innovative. So they uh, did their logo after that. It's probably, I'm assuming Macquarie is also named after Lachlan Macquarie, the governor as well.
0: Yeah, okay. So Lachlan was a genius then. He brought 40,000 coins, brought them to Australia, made 80,000 coins by punching a hole in it and getting a small one in the middle and the big ring around the outside.
1: Yeah. I and mean, I'd never, I never knew about that. I don't know if I've learned much about Australian history before 1901. That's well, kind of when it started
0: in school. <laughs> interesting. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's a good point too. Uh, so, he's basically brought these coins out. It stimulated the economy. And now when we look at the logo, we can think about that and not like a cross between Krispy Kreme and an investment bank.
1: Yeah. I didn't think they'd uh, modeled their logo after
0: a donut. <laughs> We never know. Hmm. Who knows? Macquarie's um, been around really. for a long time, though. Yeah, it has. As I said to you before we started recording, they've recorded a profit for 50, over 50 years in a row. Hmm. So there's not many companies in Australia or even perhaps throughout the world that could say that. Yeah. So that's really impressive. So Macquarie Group, do you own shares in Macquarie Group? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do not, Catherine? No. No. Um, how about Fortescue? Yep. Yep. Okay. No for me? Nope. No? Okay. And that's it.
1: I also think I own a little bit of Matt Group as oh, well. do? Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, sorry, we didn't ask that. Yes, yeah, so I don't not own any <laughs> Match Group. any Match Group. No. So you
1: need some love in your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> what other company is going to give you that? Coca Cola. Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, that's three fantastic examples. From so, your non-analyst on the show. From the non-analyst on the show, we have Match Group, um, a play on dating and love. Uh, we've got Fortescue, a play on iron ore and uh, green hydrogen. And then at the very end, we've got the Donut slash Two Coin Wonder Macquarie Group. I like it. So, you can put all of them on your watch list. <laughs> and they're all fantastic businesses, to be honest. like If you look at the Performance of these companies over a long period of time. Fantastic performers. Yeah. And very different big companies. Too. Yeah. So you can go and investigate them. They've all got really interesting um, CEOs as well, including Shamara. Shamara, if you are listening from a Group, Group, uh, one of Forbes' most powerful women, apparently, please come on now, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that uh, takes us through Raymond, mine, and Kate. Now we're left with Catherine's three companies. So, Catherine, we're going to switch over to you. Bring it home. So,
2: the first company, probably no surprises here, but it's Apple.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so, it's a business that we all know and love here at Rask. Um, very big Apple fans.
0: Yeah, I own shares. Yeah. Yep. I also own shares. Okay, so that's three shareholders. I own less shares than the cost of my device, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably, I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> okay. So so Kate owns less shares. The, the value of Kate's shares are less than her MacBook and which phone. Is, and, and phone. Other if you add mine
2: up, that'd be the same. Yeah, yeah. So if
0: we, and screen, if we just spent and every AirPods. dollar that we spent on Apple products <laughs> and, Apple Watch. and we invested that in Apple, we'd probably all be retired right now. So uh, that actually is interesting, Catherine, because then it brings us to like, w- why Apple? It's like the biggest company in the world. Why would we invest in it?
2: Power in Apple is the ecosystem. So you know, you've got the iPhone, you've got Mac, iPad, AirPods, Apple Watch. Apple
0: Watch, right? Apple Fitness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: And then on top of that, you've got all the subscriptions. So as Kate said, fitness, there's Apple Music, there's iCloud, there's App Store. Mm -hmm. Um, it also makes money from licensing. So as Raymond was talking about earlier. How Google is the default browser, so they actually pay Apple fifteen. It's estimated to be fifteen dollars, fifteen billion dollars each year, just to be the default search browser on right. Apple. So basically, so, so
0: so even though Google is super powerful, it still needs to pay Apple. So when you type in, um, you know, match group in in Safari, it comes up from a Google search yep. engine. Exactly. Right, because then Alphabet gets the Google gets the, the advertising revenue, and it also means that I'm guessing it also means that Apple doesn't have to compete. Against Google, because Google would be scared of that, right? Yep. Yeah, cool. Okay, so that makes sense. So basically, there's two sides of the business we've got hardware and software.
2: Yep. So, hardware on the hardware side, you know, we've had the recent iPhone 12 Supercycle mm-hmm. with the new um, 5G phones. Mm-hmm. Um, the new Macs and iPads have been powered by this really powerful um, M1 chip, mm-hmm. just kind of changing the game here. Um, and the wearables business, it's also doubled in three years and it's nearly the size of a Fortune 100 business. So, so each so, of.
0: So this- Apple Watch and related type stuff, if it was its own company, it would be like a 100th biggest company in the United States. Yeah. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bigger than Fitbit? Probably bigger than Fitbit. You'd have to say, like, Fitbit wouldn't be in the top 100.
2: Recently acquired by Google.
0: Yeah. Oh, there you go. So Google bought Fitbit, maybe in an attempt to try and do the same thing. Yeah, but not as good. Let's be honest, we're all, other than Monique who's behind the camera, doesn't have a microphone, she can't defend herself. Um, We are all Apple fans here. Yes, we are. Okay, so the the thesis then basically is, if I'm not mistaken, Catherine, is basically the hardware component, you know, people buy these devices and they start using things like iCloud. They start using Apple Fitness. And so Apple can make money from you two ways. You buy the product and you pay for the service,
2: right? Yeah, and above all else, it's just the brand—the power of Apple's brand.
0: Yeah, would you say that um, there's like risk for Apple from disruption or from like what would you say is the, the key risk to the business? Like, are there risks from I don't know regulation? Like, what what would be the key risk?
2: So the key risk would be just Apple staying relevant. So you know consumers wanting to still buy Apple products and mm-hmm. using their services um, amid. Competition, Yeah. That's one of them. Um, another one would be regulation. So as Kate said earlier with the App Store, um, that's an ongoing kind of battle. So I think they charge around 30% um, mm. of all. C- criminal.
0: Criminal from your match group. <laughs> I own both, so I guess it plays on no matter each other. Who, no matter who pays, you win. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's not just, um, so like say, if there are apps on the App Store that you have to pay for, so they get money that way, but also for those apps with in app subscriptions, Apple also takes a cut. And um, companies are forced, you know, to use the uh, sorry to charge those services through the app store, where Apple gets a cut. So they can't go around it. So that's what the big battle is about.
0: Mm. So right, because this is um, one of the big games companies. I think it was it's Epic. Epic Games, which owns Fortnite. Because yep. you can pay Fortnite on your phone as well, can't you? Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's free to play. But then, if you want stuff in the game, you have to pay for things. Yeah. And Apple basically forces them to pay through the app.
2: Exactly. You
0: can't go around it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we talked to. Uh, we've researched a company called Pushpay, which does donations, and Apple has said, no, 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 you can't donate through the, the app because they don't want money laundering to go on through the app. So that's like the one exception to this massive rule, which is developers must pay through Apple. Um, so, okay. So regulation, um, like they're basically making sure that it still remains relevant.
2: Yeah. And at the moment there's obviously supply chain as well and inflation
0: risks. Yep. Okay. But other than like, so those are like kind of the business risks. And then obviously it just comes down to valuation. How much is the company worth? So on and so forth. Yep. Okay, great. So Apple, ticker symbol?
2: AAPL on the NASDAQ in the yep. US.
0: Cool. So you need a US uh, brokerage account to trade in Apple shares. One of the mistakes that I made. Um, when I first started was putting US companies into my brokerage account search thing, widget, and realizing that I couldn't buy any of them. But thanks to you know, companies like Stake, Perla, SelfWealth, not Comsec, <laughs> um, those companies, you can do all of it in one account. So that's great. Okay. So um, this morning when we were, we were talking about this, um, I said, you're going to go from one Company to another, what do they have in common? And you said they both start with the letter A, and at least a ticker symbol, um, which is your second company.
2: So my second company is Adore Beauty. So you've gone from this huge, established, powerful brand to a much, much smaller company. Uh, It's a lot more risky, uh, but it's Adore Beauty. On the ASX ticker code is ABY, Mm -hmm. and it was a recent IPO. um, I think about in 2020, um, so right in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's the Online only, so Australia's online largest online only uh, beauty retailer. Mm-hmm. So they sell, uh, I think, it's over two hundred and fifty brands across like makeup, hair care, uh, skincare, fragrances, um, and it was started by a lady called Kate Morris. So all the way back in two thousand, mm-hmm. um, she was working at well at university. She was working at a department store, and she recognised that a lot of women found the whole process very intimidating because back then there was no reviews, there was no product information, so you'd go in and you rely on the expertise of the person behind the sales counter who would often sell you a lot more than you originally wanted. So she set about to create a more powerful shopping experience, um, and yet she recognised the uh, online opportunity well ahead of the game. So fast forward 20 years and you've got a Adore, um, so around nine hundred thousand customers.
0: So the story of Kate Morris is really interesting because we had her on the Australian Investors That's podcast. Right, yeah. We did a full interview with Kate Morris, and she described that like it wasn't always smooth sailing. Right over that twenty year period from then to now, um, there were like there were stories of her crying in the car park with her partner as they were thinking, "How are we going to pay these people?" They had to form negotiate. Uh, Trade agreements with people like uh, with organisations like Woolworths, which then unfolded and so so on and so forth. So it wasn't just smooth sailing the whole mm, time, right? Yeah,
2: and she's recognised herself that she was far too early on the online opportunity,
0: meaning that she was thinking oh, online's this amazing opportunity, but it took many years to yeah. catch up. Yeah. Um, so, pop quiz: Do you guys shop with the door of beauty? Like, do do you buy anything online?
1: Uh, I buy things online. But like um, skincare beauty? beauty um, I've shopped a couple of times. I know Catherine loves the Tim Tam it comes with. But I do, but I the do like the in-store experience at Mecca, which is a private company still.
0: Is Mecca... So here's my <laughs> level of knowledge. Excuse me.
1: Um, Surely you've bought someone a gift from Mecca, Owen. I don't think... It,
0: Wait, I think I've been to MAC. Is that the other one? Is that the same one? What is no, MAC? No. MAC is makeup. Well, that's where I've been because that's where I've got go-to products from before.
2: No. That's not Mecca. Mecca. Oh, my
0: God, it's MAC Mecca. does not. Oh, no. No. There's Mecca Maxima. Mecca what?
2: There are different types
1: of Mecca stores. Yes. Okay. See, and this is why- If you bought you know, go-to what, skincare products, you, would have you did not Mecca. go to MAC. You went to Mecca.
0: This has actually brought us to a fantastic point, right? Is if you look at the investments industry and the analysts in the industry, a lot of them are males, like me, who have no idea about this stuff, right? So imagine me going to analysing this company, Adore Beauty. Like why would I have no idea? I'm like, be like, yeah, it's this store. And you'd be like, I don't know, that's not the store. It's this one. This is an example of like having a diverse analyst mm. team. It's really important. But it's
1: interesting if you think a go-to. So if you go into Myers, which is a listed company in mm. Melbourne, there is a Mecca store within the Myers, which mm. is a different company, and you can buy go-to skincare within the Mecca store, within the Myers, which is owned by a different listed company. So, so many companies. Yes, so
0: BWX now owns half of-
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. So you walk into Myers, but suddenly there's like five or six businesses all at play before you get to the product.
0: Yeah, right. And you know, another one, Kate, I'll throw one back at you, is you could put on your um, sunscreen that you get from Adore Beauty. You could use your Apple iPhone, download Tinder and connect with someone online. Who knows? They might even work for Fortescue Metals Group. There we go. <laughs> Bring them all together and back with the core
1: group. <laughs> but anyway, back to Adore Beauty. <laughs> yeah, back to Adore Beauty. I'm sure well, there's a few the more thesis. fun things to tell us.
2: Well, one of the reasons why it's interesting is because the, um, the beauty industry is going through this shift to online. So in Australia at the moment, only uh, around 11% of sales, uh, of sales in the beauty industry are online. Hmm. And that's much lower than countries like the US and UK, which are around 18%. And then South Korea and China, which are around forty to fifty percent. So this was a trend that was happening well before COVID, and COVID's only accelerated this.
0: Like that brings that's probably the key risk, though too, right? For investors thinking about this, they think of a door. They think during COVID, of course, it would have done well because what you couldn't go into store, so you had to buy your makeup and your skincare on, on mm-hmm. online. So is that a risk that like that doesn't happen?
2: Like For it, sure.
0: It, it yeah. Reverses? So
2: yeah, even now, so you're seeing that. Um, Adore acquired many, many customers during COVID and some of them have gone back to in-store, but it's still growing and a lot of the company customers are um, they're seeing the benefits of purchasing online and they're continuing to do that.
0: Well, that's, yeah, because that's interesting. Cause I guess maybe if they don't even keep everyone, at least some of them they acquired, they would come back. Yeah. Do mm. so they have any
1: exclusive, exclusive distribution partnerships or can you buy the same things on Adore as you can buy so, on- Any other website. Yes.
2: So that was going to be one of the risks here. So Adore does, I think they have around above 50, but they're all pretty niche um, kind of brands. Mm -hmm. Whereas you have something like Mecca and they have, you know, like Too Faced, Urban Decay, Charlotte Tilbury, a lot of just big brands that you can only purchase through Mecca. Mm. That's one of the big draw cards there. Yeah,
0: right. So that, if you, yeah, if you want one of those brands, you basically have to go around Adore. And you've got Sephora in
1: Australia with stores as well now. Yes,
0: they also have exclusive brands. Yes, I have seen that brand around well done, Owen. It's also near Myers in Melbourne. <laughs> okay. That's probably where I've seen it. Um, so I guess one of the things that I spoke to Kate Morris about was also the shift towards private label. Um, is that important to the company? Yes.
2: So they've been working on this for a while now. Um, they're set to roll out their first skincare private label product. I think it's this quarter. So right. they haven't announced it yet. Um, but yeah, they're working on just yeah private label their own products. So I think skincare and then also hair care. Hmm. Um and then they can yeah, they just get better margins for it. So they make more money from their own selling their own products.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. Okay, final question from me on Adore Beauty. Um spray one for the room. Is uh like makeup just a one big Ponzi scheme? Does it actually make a difference? I think
1: one of our analysts said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, he was like to be honest, does any of it no, actually I think it was do anything? Skincare. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> they were using makeup like products back in ancient Egypt. Do you know that?
0: I remember the yeah. eyeliner. <laughs> I see the eyeliner thing People on People have been the crushing sphinx. up beetles
1: and charcoal and making
0: beauty products <laughs> since the beginning of time, Owen. So I'm not sure it's going away anytime soon. Okay. But so would you say then, would you say that skincare, uh, well, skincare is probably there. Like um, Kate Morris did say one thing. She said, even if you don't pay any attention to this, at least put on sunscreen. Sunscreen because Mm. it will protect your skin at least. Yeah. Um, So, like, I guess, like, this is a huge industry globally. I'm just mocking it, but um, (laughs) I probably shouldn't be because it's massive, right? Yeah. So, um, Adore Beauty is a play on skincare. It's got a pretty positive thematic or tailwind at its back, like pushing it along. Um, And it's not like, it's not quite the L'Oreal or the LMBH or something like that, but it's, so it's not creating all the products, but it's selling them. Yeah. So, cool. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, Good one for your watch list. Uh, number three, Catherine, we've we've gone from Apple, which is the juggernaut, one of the biggest companies in the world. We've gone to Adore Beauty, which is an Australian company uh, that sells skincare products online. What is number three? So
2: number three is a company that you may not be familiar with. It's called Catapult on the ASX under ticket code CAT. Cat. Cat.
0: Meow. Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> That's the one. Um, and it's a sports analytics company. So you might not have heard of the company, but if you say follow AFL, um, familiar with the TELSA tracker which is the thing that shows you like the heat maps of the players, um, stats like how far they've run, repeat sprint efforts, and things like that. So a catapult has, uh, it's best known for this little GPS tracker that sits in a sports vest or at the back of a player's jumper. Um, it just tracks a bunch of different data points and performance.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it's yeah, used across a wide, ra- wide range of sports. So you've got AFL, NFL, soccer, basketball, baseball, many others, um, and a bunch of just really high-profile teams like Real Madrid, Chelsea, New York Jets, and Chelsea. Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) All using the products. Um, So yeah, the idea here is that it's used to optimize performance of the players, but also maximize time spent on field by reducing injury.
0: Didn't, um, like Raymond brought up uh, PWR Holdings before, which does the cooling systems for almost every Formula One team. Didn't Catapult make an acquisition for the technology as well. You know how when you watch the F1 and it's got- um,
2: Powered by AWS. Yeah. It'll it's say like- Tire like, degre- degradate degradation.
0: That's the one. That's yeah, the- Or it might say like, um, what's the Australian guy's name? Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo is, yeah, there's a 52% chance that Daniel Ricciardo passes Lewis Hamilton in the next three laps. Yeah. And that calculation and all those variables that are taken into account- that's ma- that's created by a company. Sbg Sports. Sbg Sports, which Catapult bought, right? Yes, correct. So why did they buy them?
2: So Catapult also has a video arm, so a video solution right. part of the business. Um, so that's where Sbg comes into play as well.
0: Right. So they've said we we have all of these soccer teams and we do all the analytics for them. Um, why don't we do it for F one as well? And why don't we take that technology from F one and try and bring some of that like those calculations back into sports as mm-hmm.
2: well. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of sports look to F1 as the leaders of you know analytics and data.
0: Yeah. So how does Catapult make money? Like, how does it monetize like those like the tracking and the, the wearables? And then you know how does the business come together?
2: Yeah. So in recent years, Catapult has shifted to a subscription business model. So um, teams um, get the hardware, so the wearables, um, and then they pay a subscription, so a recurring subscription, mm-hmm. to access the platform and get all the analytics.
0: Yeah. Cool. So. When they report, I notice this, when they report, they have like um, like the annualized recurring revenue is a figure that they quote, which is like the annual subscriptions that come through. Um, they measure all them. So you can track that as an investor. You can say how much revenue do they expect to generate every year? And the point there is like you want to keep an eye on like how many customers stay, which is retention, and how many leave, which is churn. You want mm-hmm. the churn to be low and the retention to be high. Um, so how about the management team? Do you, do you have any insights on them?
2: Yep. So it's led by someone called Will Lopes, mm-hmm. so he came from Audible, uh, part of Amazon, mm. um, and he's just really just trying to transform the business. It was kind of known for poor capital allocation in the past, so it spent money on kind of underperforming businesses, mm-hmm. um, so now he's just trying to right the ship. Um, Something to be mindful of is incentives. So he is, and the rest of the management team is paid quite a lot, um, without kind of long-term incentives that align with shareholders. But so far, um, yeah, he's really kind of focusing on the core business and trying to integrate the different parts of the business together.
0: Because mm, Kate, that's something we talked about in our five-part checklist: is the management team, right? Mm. So having a good management team that not not only is good, but also is working for the long-term benefit of all shareholders is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having heard Will on calls, he sounds very enthusiastic and he's taking that kind of Amazon approach to like long-term success of the the company.
2: Something he's also really passionate about is um, perspective predictive analytics so at the moment yeah, that, yeah, yeah it's all about descriptive so what's happened but the future is you know what will happen
0: yeah. what could happen so that would be like predicting like in that in the example of that F1 where there's a 52% chance that Daniel Ricciardo is going to crash around the next corner or something crazy <laughs> um, in that example taking that example and then putting it into soccer or putting yeah. it into the basketball or something like that where you can lebron james is going there's a 20% chance lebron james is going to score three threes in the next quarter or something not, like that. This
1: not takes some of the fun out of the game if you've got all these... Stats and
0: analytics. Some people love the stats, though. Some people like froth over stats. Like well, I know they have- you
1: play in your fantasy football league. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> you okay. love the stats. We have uh, we, just, we have a sport uh, like a tipping competition, and Kate and I are holding up the ladder, aren't we? Well,
1: I have next not- number
0: one actually behind the. I've not yeah, voted yeah. for any it's companies a- in a few weeks. So. Voted, <laughs> yeah, voted. <laughs> <laughs> what companies. What are I saying? Football teams. <laughs> yeah. and there's a tip. I'm getting very confused there's also here. A tip, not a vote, but that's okay. We are getting there. Um, so okay, so just in recap, then just to recap, we've got Apple from you. We've got um, Adore Beauty, and then we've got Catapult. Mm -hmm. So all companies that um, kind of involve technology, but they are different and serve different end users. We've got like the mass market with Apple. Then we've got, um, I guess, just like the skincare and beauty market. Ecom, e-commerce, and finally we've got sports teams like uh, sports analysts and, and those types of things. So that's kind of rounds us out with our twelve companies.
1: Yeah, a lot of different industries we're
0: yeah. playing in. Yeah, I wonder if like someone could somehow tie all of them together. So you know how you said before, like, you gave an example. <laughs> maybe in <and> my example, <laughs> maybe you could take a piece of iron ore to your Tinder date, um, which you connect with via Apple, and if you get really hot, I you think can we're have stretching a, here. A, a PWR <laughs> cooler just by your side, just to <laughs> something like that um, i don't know how mff capital ties into any of it but that's okay um, so there are so many great companies you can see that are available um throughout the world and you gave that great example kate of basically everything that you touch like if you go into a myers and you buy go-to skincare products who is involved in that? We've mm. got BWX, which is on the ASX. We've got Maya, We've got all the companies that are involved in that and that's a competitor of Adore Beauty. So then you think, okay, everyone's lining up there. Maybe yeah. that's not good for Adore.
1: Even just as an experiment to try to expand your mind to the fact that so many different companies are around walking into a Myers or a Bunnings or um, what are those big DFO or yep. whatever you call them yep. around um, walking into a big <laughs> department store and actually just looking around and starting to go, What is this company? Okay, is this listed? Or maybe it's owned by another listed company. And if you just walk around and spend an hour and have your phone out and do a bit of Googling at the same time, you'll start to realize there are so many different elements at play and all these companies coming together um, as part of a bigger picture. And it really starts to, even if you're just walking down the main street in your capital city, Mm. um, search some of these companies up. Um, Maybe they're not listed in their private companies, but still really interesting to have a little bit of a look into all of it and how it all fits together.
0: Yeah, it is fascinating. And yeah, turn the if you're looking in the store, turn the product upside down or around the back and have a look at which company makes it. Yeah, and never know they might be traced back to a company that's on the stock market. So mm. um, look at
1: what payment systems the staff are using. Yeah, maybe they use a HR. You could even ask them what HR software uh, are
0: using. Is. Salesforce to you know track customers and monitor all of that. And chances are they probably are, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so you know when we watch the um, Australian Open in the past year, you would see a Salesforce logo on the court. So what is that company, what do they do? It's not all about the Rolex in the corner, Mm. you know, but there are so many different companies that you can invest in if you have access to the share market, in particular the Australian and US share markets together. Yeah,
1: just being a bit more curious, I think, and keeping your eyes open when you're walking around in the world and you can start to see lots of different companies and potential ideas for you to research.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I really want to emphasize from this discussion too is we haven't come here and said buy this, buy that. That's not our intention with this episode at all. What we're what we're here to say is basically this is the opportunity that you you can kind of take advantage of. You can go out there and explore all these companies, mm. and if you do want to put money behind them, you might just start with you know a few hundred dollars behind one company, and you might still have like your core portfolio that's diversified, low cost for the long term. That's you know ser- dare I say serious money, air quotes, um, and then you can explore some of these companies as you learn about investing and and so on and so forth. Mm. Finally, I will call out the um, Investor Bootcamp Training Manual. Totally free. It's a Google document that I put together. Um, It's available through the Australian um, Investors Podcast where Raymond had also appeared and talked about some software tools to use for investors. So go and check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, It's a great chance for you to take it to the next level. Otherwise, Kate, Catherine, this was heaps of fun. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.